Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Morning, Catherine. You're, you're in a new podcasting studio. Yes, I'm in a new podcasting studio. <laughs> you're in your van. Mm-hmm. I'm back to where we started almost, right? Like <laughs> literally. <laughs> you know, remember, I remember you talking about your trip, your first trip down to Patagonia, and you all like were everything was self-contained in the van. And when yes. you stopped for gas, you used a rubber glove to touch yep. the things yep. and threw it away. Yep. We, there's a lot we didn't know back then. There was, it was, we had the van and our truck because we had both kids and we caravanned straight through only st- using the bathroom that's in the van and washing our hands in the van sink, you know, no, no human contact at all. Straight wow. through, took our snacks with us. It was hilarious. Yeah. That was pretty, that was before we knew it was more airborne. That's funny. yeah. That would have been in. April of 2020, <laughs> which feels like a different world. Yeah. It, you know, like so long ago and such a weird, it was, yeah, it was weird. So yeah. that's funny. You know, I had COVID last year around this time and I, I, I briefly lost my sense of taste and smell, but they didn't come back as strongly. And, the, and like, just now I'm starting to notice like my smell is getting better, but not that good because today when I was getting ready to pour a second cup of coffee, I realized that my mm-hmm. stomach has been bothering me for the last two days <laughs> and I tossed out the creamer, <laughs> but it uh, wasn't until I got right in my nose. <laughs> oh man, man. <laughs> That's hilarious. So my theory of expiration dates don't mean anything only worked before I had COVID. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, you'll smell that. You'll smell it if it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not. The, it's just like slightly queasy. Nothing full on. That's hilarious. Um, I heard you on the Women's Performance Podcast. You did a great job. Thank you. I, 
I was kind of, I was traveling when that when they dropped that. So I need to go back and look at it because I I didn't have I wasn't on my phone. I was like, oh, it looks like that dropped. So I'll have to go back and check up on that. So yeah. it was fun talking I mean, to Sarah. One of the title working titles was peeing in ditches. When I saw come <laughs> through the back. That would have been really, really appropriate because <laughs> I peed in so many ditches in my life. <laughs> yeah it, well it would have been appropriate except for we're trying to that's a performance-based podcast so mm. people would have been like is this a podcast about how to pee in a ditch ah yeah I could see that I could see that yeah. so what yeah. have you what are you doing down in Patagonia are you doing a lot of cycling um, I'm uh, hiking doing a bit of cycling um, I'm having trouble with the saddle that's on my bike that's down here. So I have a new one arriving today. So, um, anyway, so, um, yeah, just hiking and biking and working like just where it's warm, you know, Kansas Emporia yesterday had like something like eight inches of snow and I'm, I didn't. Everybody. All my family sending me pictures, and I'm like, "Yeah, here's my picture. Look at this really blue sky and these beautiful mountains." Yeah. Well, I feel like everybody I've seen photos they're in Arizona this winter. It's yeah, like the new place to go. Um, I think Ted and Laura are coming down Sunday for the group ride down here, so I'll yeah. get to see. They're, they're training yeah. in Tucson. Yep. Like, um, so we've got the Patagonia Lumber Company has a band and a bunch of food trucks Sunday, so. And it's supposed to be like 70 and sunny. So it'll be fun to hang out and there's a group ride and, you know, just, just stuff in the warmth basically. And it works great. I take my van down to where there's good signal and work for the day and then sneak out for a hike or a bike ride after, after I'm done working. So that sounds pretty amazing. It is. It's nice. Maybe next winter, next winter I'll get down there. Um, I'm, I'm currently you got back your van. Just get in it and start driving. Well, the van, I think is going to make its inaugural ship to Canada. <laughs> so if I can figure out, uh, it's harder to get COVID tests now. So trying to get it back up to Canada next week for a little work trip. Did you but get your free ones? You can't use those for border crossing. Oh yeah. You have Why? to have, you have to have the, um, the ones that they, it's either there's two kinds that you can get for border crossing and that doesn't count for either one of them and it has to be like you got the receipt of the covid test it's a, so it hasn't been hard the last few times but now because the omicron variant was so like caused so much spread you can only book three days out um for the test whereas before you could book before so it's just like can i get a test in the time that i need it's just oh the whole God. thing because there's only like an 820 ferry and a 220 ferry that run. And so can I get a COVID test within like, I have to get it 72 hours of arriving in Canada. So an hour and a half after that ferry goes, it's, it's too much math for me. I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm like, what? I just want to go to Canada. (laughs) It's like the fifth time I've done it. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the fifth time I've done it. So it, but now they've had they're limiting the test to where you can only book one three days. Got it's, it. It's all, it's all fun, but they are getting ready to change the restrictions February 28th going into Canada. Okay. So lightening them. Yeah. Where okay. you can just have the rapid 
test, which you can get, they're easier to get. So like the one you can get like that I have, <laughs> I don't think you can use the at home test, but, okay. um, got it. Okay. I'm done. Like, the rapid like a lot of people are doing the rapid test just because they're diagnosing like real which that hasn't been, it doesn't, if anybody wants to go to Canada, just call me. I can tell you all the ways to get in message. Catherine, <laughs> she will let you know, or just probably wait six weeks. And the restrictions are probably going to be way eased on both sides. Hopefully. Nice. So anyhow, well, uh, we had a fun interview this week. I was actually quite excited about it. As soon as I saw all the memes going out about gravel triathlon, <laughs> I was like, oh, I want to talk to Vic Brumfield yes. from USA Triathlon, um, who you met through Unbound Camps. Mm -hmm. And as we already made fun of her once before for not being a great climber. Well, okay. Vic made fun of herself for not being a great climber. I just echoed her sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And she reinforced it on the podcast. Yeah. She's, she was so fun to talk to. Yeah. And I just realized like that podcast was, I think that interview is like an hour. So we've been chatting, we've been here chit chatting it up. Well, it's going to be a long show, ladies buckle up. <laughs> it's not going to feel like an hour though, because she's so fun. And she's like a really big deal at USA triathlon. Like she's on the executive team. Um, Vic is just a really big deal. So. She's a really big deal. So I think everybody's going to really enjoy this interview. We, we hear just how she balances training and a, very, very busy schedule, um, and how, and why she loves gravel so much. And then we get, we can only get a little bit into the gravel triathlon side of things, but you, you know, what my favorite part of it was, I don't know if we said it in the interview or if she said it when we hung up where she what? talked about, she got a cat for her dog during COVID. That was on the interview. I think, <laughs> oh my God, I anyway, hope so. She she's ended up with three pets. So it's worth yeah. listening to. Yeah. And, and doesn't like cats and now has two. So <laughs> check it out. <laughs> we'll get on to our interview with Vic, Vic Brumfeld. Hey, so good news. The Feisty Women's Performance Summit is back for its second year in 2022. I don't know about you, but at Feisty, we're pretty sick of the predatory BS that we've observed in the fitness industry. The quote unquote women's market is a target for fad diets, miracle workouts, and the usual shrink it and pink it marketing bunk. So enter the Feisty Women's Performance Summit, where we're going to bring together information you can trust so you can learn, grow, and succeed by working with your female physiology, not against it. It's not about standing on a podium, although we all know that some of us will. It's about being able to do the things we love throughout our lives. This year's virtual summit will take place March 25th to 27th, and you'll get three days of education, demonstrations, and inspiration from top of the class vetted professionals who will provide you with the knowledge you need to reach your goals. And if you can't make the summit on the weekend, the replays will be available for you all year long. So head on over to womensperformance.com to get all the deets. That's womensperformance.com. The link will be in the show notes. No matter what adventure you're dreaming of, you understand what it means to push harder, reach further, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, 
boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real-time recovery tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. I found the record button today, Christy, you, without needing help. You nailed it. That was like, the, I wasn't ready because you were so fast on the draw with the record button. <laughs> Every week when the guest is on, I'm like, where's the record button on Zoom? <laughs> Vic, you didn't have to suffer through it. <laughs> um, I'm pretty excited about our guest today because we talked about her a few weeks on the pod ago on the podcast, and then I told her she should listen to it because we were making well, you were making fun of her. <laughs> well, in all fairness, I've listened to the podcast before. I but I, I didn't hear that one until this morning. So it was fun to, to catch up. Well, um, ladies, you're listening to none other than Victoria Brumfield joining us today. Where are you from? Where are you at? You're in Colorado, right? I'm in Colorado Springs right now. Yeah. Living the life. I actually, right before we got on, I got a bloody nose. That's how high up in altitude we are. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm living in the nosebleed section. <laughs> that, yeah, but that's not how you participate in life. You're not participating in life from the nosebleed section. You're down and getting no, but you're I, down but there do being act, feisty. I do <laughs> act a little high. So I don't know. Maybe <laughs> okay. So you have a job that is not in gravel cycling, but we met you at Unbound. Well, I met you way before at Feisty Things, um, but we met you at Unbound last year, but tell us, like, kind of give us a little bit of your, you have a, a long resume of being, um, especially in the event space. Um, yeah, I'm old. Endurance sports. It's so hard to tell with the filter that you've got. But, yeah. Well, Christy and I have established that we're old too. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I actually, it was really funny. We were interviewing someone recently and they, the person had asked um, who they'd met with. And they said, well, I met with the older woman and we were all like, I wonder who that is. And then we figured out it was me. <laughs> so, it's because you have some gray hair. Yeah. Yeah. I know low lights. The, uh, yeah, the low lights are there. So I guess background as far as um, what I do professionally or how I got into to sport and actually they're connected. Yeah. Tell us, tell us your kind of like your story. Oh, so complicated. So I think, well, I'll go back to, I was never a competitive athlete, but I always pursued things that brought me joy. So growing up, I was really into skiing and snowboarding. Um, I was really into riding horses. It was my passion. I never did anything super competitive. I mean, there was a little 4-H time that, you know, I really crushed. Um, but I think, I think that's probably when I realized I like to exercise sitting down. I guess the best part about horseback riding is the horse does all the work, but eventually that transitioned to cycling. So yeah. So I, didn't you have a foray in running first or was that just you work? Didn't you work for the road runners or am I? I did, yeah. So, well, so interestingly, and I'll, I'll, I'll take you through, like when I was in college and undergrad, I went to undergrad out in Utah and I worked full-time through college. So I always had to have a job. And 
one of my jobs was I was a tournament director for a Johnny Miller course, which is a, a golf course. I was, I was actually an avid golfer as well growing up. Grew up on a golf course, grew up playing. It was like the only thing we did together as a family besides fight, which actually we also fought while playing golf. That was a kind of a theme, but who doesn't fight while playing golf? So I always worked in golf and, and um, I ended up working at a senior PGA golf tournament. Now it's called the Champions Tour and met a man who owned a sports marketing agency in New York City, a guy named John Korf. And I immediately went to work for him out of college. And it's really interesting because I started working in golf but one of our biggest accounts was NYC 2012, which was New York's Olympic bid. They were vying for the 2012 games, which we ultimately lost to London. And at the time they had to put on all these different national and world championship events to demonstrate their ability to host big events successfully and effectively in the city. So worked on everything from the world championships of wrestling and fencing and archery and oh, cool. all these cool things. And that is how the New York City Triathlon started because it was the national championship for triathlon and it was one of the NYC 2012 events. So that was the very first New York City Tri in 2001. And it's amazing because when you put on an event like the World Championships of Wrestling, like we do not participate. One, because it's gross. And two, like you can't just like as an amateur go be like, hey, like Rulon Gardner, like show me what you got. But in a triathlon, <laughs> you've, got like, you've got like the fast skinny guys up front and then you have like everyone else who shows up. And just like you talked about New York Roadrunners in the marathon, you get to go compete on the exact same course. And so what we found was like, this could be the next marathon. And so the triathlon continued. And that was my first experience starting to work in triathlon and ended up putting on the world championships for age groupers and Olympic trials and all kinds of other big events. That's how I got started working in endurance sports. And that also evolved into being a contractor for New York Roadrunners. I eventually went to go work for their CEO, Mary Wittenberg, when she started Virgin Sport, which was a startup under the Virgin family of brands. Mm -hmm. um, and then ultimately ended up here at USC Triathlon. So I feel like I've kind of gone full circle back to my roots, minus the Hudson River. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I had visions of you in a singlet for just a second, like <laughs> funny, the wrestling. Funny enough, I actually in college found this vintage wrestling like one kit. I don't know what even what you call it, like a singlet. singlet and yeah. that's what I wore as my swimsuit. It was very provocative at the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then how did you end up doing 200 miles at unbound? Um, because that's where the finish line was. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so to go back to cycling, it, so it's really interesting. When I first moved to New York, I didn't know anybody and I wasn't a runner historically. You know, I played golf. I was a snowboarder. I rode horses, but moving to New York, all of those things are extremely expensive and non-accessible. And I was like broke and had no money and no, didn't know anyone. So what I started doing was joining New York Roadrunner events. There are these incredible races that happen every weekend, whether it's in one of the boroughs or one of their standard Central Park races. And I fell in love with it, but I also realized I, I was injured all the time because this was before I realized um, that coaching will change your life when you learn how to train effectively, as opposed to just finding some schedule online that says you should like be running doubles and 70 miles a week or something ridiculous, whatever I was doing. Um, so every time I was injured, I would switch over to cycling and I did triathlons. Um, 
you know, had no idea what I was doing, but worked in triathlons. So felt like I had to drink the, the Gatorade and, and do triathlons, but I just fell in love with cycling. And so I started bike racing. Um, I did competitive bike racing. I mean, competitive is relative, but you know, a bunch of like middle-aged type A women all sprinting each other. Um, but I upgraded to cat two. I raced cyclocross. It was, it was like my passion. And then I moved to New York or to Colorado and I went to Boulder and did a bike race and <laughs> was dropped at the line and immediately <laughs> marched myself over to USA cycling and downgraded to like the lowest possible like category. And just, I don't know, it just wasn't fun anymore. Like I wasn't, I didn't want my whole life to be training to like catch a wheel at the start line and then suffer for an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. And like, I wanted to really enjoy it. And I, I think that's what I loved about triathlon was triathlon was all about just being out there and doing your pace and experiencing your race. It wasn't, if you got dropped, your race was over and you might as well ride home. Um, and so what I found is that I, I first participated in the Leadville 100 and it, the bike event that was a game changer for me. I loved it. And actually before that I did unbound 100, just fell in love with gravel, all things dirt. And I mean, I can talk about like everything I love about it. And I still love road. You know, I, I ride road all the time. I just did a big bike ride um, from San Francisco to Santa Barbara over the weekend. And I love it, but there's something about being off road that for me is the, the consistent pedaling of road, which I love. I love that like constant hard grind, as long as there aren't any hills. And I love the psychological um, awareness that you have, the mental awareness that you have to have when riding off-road. You have to be alert and aware and cognizant and present. Whereas in road riding, you can kind of let your mind wander. And I like, I like being forced to be present. And it's without the like stressful technical aspect of real mountain biking. So yeah. So that's how I ended up showing up at Unbound. Best day of my life. And it was a full day. It was like literally almost 24 hours. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I would guess for you, cause you're, you said you work at USA triathlon, but you're kind of a big deal at USA triathlon. You're the chief of staff and the head of business development. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. You, maybe sit, on, I do you that. sit on the executive team. Like yeah. you have a big job, right? Yeah. So it's probably like you said that you have to be present. Yeah. I would imagine that's like a big part of just getting away from the, the work and the day-to-day -day. and USA triathlon is one of the biggest, um, what are, what are they called? The non national NGB. governing body. NG yes. NGBs. NGB. Yep. So yeah. There's an acronym in there that I'm missing. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, I, you know, I think a lot about how I spend my time and energy and I mean, it's a big job. Like I work easily, you know, 50 to 60 hours a week consistently. Um, it's, it's all in. Cause it's like the kind of job where your heart and soul has to be in to what you do every day. Um, it's not like a, a time card in and out type of organization. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about it. But I also need a place where I can process and exercise has always been that for me. You know, I didn't, I feel like listening to a lot of the, the guests that you have on, they grow up as competitive swimmers or runners or bikers. They do track and field. They do organized sports. I never did that growing up, but I always had this passion for something physically challenging that that's helped me process my life and my day. Um, even in, this is like so random, but what, 
my first big thing I ever bought myself was like in, I think it was my freshman year in high school. I, I bought the Reebok step aerobic kit. Oh gosh. And I like, I literally did Reebok step aerobics. I still like remember the motions. Oh, right. Yeah. Every day for like, until I could afford to go to a gym and could drive. That was like, I just always felt a release around the structure and the output and the like clarity. Um, and for me now that's transitioned to endurance sports, but yeah, I've always, I've always really felt that that's energized me. That's awesome. And I, like that just totally brought me back to all of my, the, the Reebok step aerobics. Did you and, do it? <laughs> it? Oh yeah. Yeah. I totally like, did. I had the step too. Yeah. 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 I, I, be, you know, I, at one point was an aerobics instructor. You yeah. were, what did mm-hmm. you teach? Well, I mean, aerobics, <laughs> like, we, yeah. like, like the oh my God, I feel like we should do this. We're talking about doing an event at a mountain. Maybe Christy should do an aerobics. I could do aerobics. Demo. I was, I was showing, I was demonstrating to my nieces. Like we were talking, they, like some song came on, we were making pretzels in the kitchen, like, like earlier this week. And and a song came on. I was like, oh my God, this is like one I used to do in my aerobics class. And they were like, what? And, you know, so I was showing them some moves and like hit the back of my ankle on a chair like on the ground. God, yourself. Do you know what's so funny about it is that I was listening to somebody talk about how much they loved the Peloton portfolio of classes, right? Like the variety that how they need to have like different instructors and all these things. And I like literally flashback. I had one Reebok step aerobic video, one Jane Fonda and one by the firm. And I like, I did those three videos a thousand times each or more like, and, and I was so happy to just do the exact same thing. Like, no, I had no idea that you could have options that like, yeah. like flew Oh yeah. Mind. I remember those days. I actually, I lived in Mexico city for a while, like oh, wow, 12 years ago. And I had like two videos when there was an abs video and the other was wait for it. Yoga booty ballet. <laughs> and I would do my yoga booty ballet video in my apartment in Mexico city. Well, okay. I think if you're doing something like this at Unbound, booty ballet has got to be part of it. Yoga booty ballet. But I'm not an instructor. Well, just bring your tape. I think, <laughs> I think that that might have died a death in Mexico. <laughs> I still have a passion for the gym though. You know, I teach a second yeah. class at uh, Lifetime. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I teach, um, I teach once a, a week for an hour and every other week for two hours. It's That's awesome. It's great. Although, you know, what's so funny. I do these two hour classes and like people will show up with a half a bottle of water. I'm like, literally have a picnic. I'm like, like every 30 minutes, I'm like eating a sandwich and like bar and like sports <laughs> drink. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's that, you know, narrative that we've all been taught of. We shouldn't fuel ourselves. Like you're, you go to burn your calories. So then you can, it, that's a whole nother conversation. That that's, a, that's a, yeah, that's a lifetime it, of conversation. You know, that's actually, and I, we could talk to you about how coaching really changed the way I experienced sport. But when I first started riding, I remember when I did my first ride out in New York, I went all the way to this little town called Nyack, which is like 50 miles round trip back and forth from the West side of the city. And it was like a big deal. Like all the cool kids did it. And I got home and I fell asleep for like four hours because I hadn't fueled. I mean, I had no idea. And in my mind, 
Like, why would I take in calories? It's like, I'm going to feel so skinny when I'm done. But then I woke up from my nap and I probably ate like 10,000 calories. Of oh yeah. <laughs> like I went down to the local deli and bought like 42 packs of donuts and eat in a gyro. <laughs> you need to go, you need to go back and listen to the, the, the girls gone girl podcast with Heidi Renz. Cause she okay. talks about her first big ride that she ever did. And she didn't know any better. And so she, all she ate was bananas. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about that. <laughs> We, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm like, what did that do to you? <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine? That's like, yeah, she probably, her only breaks were when she had to stop to go to the bathroom, but wow. like, it's funny thinking about unbound the hardest part of unbound. Actually, I take that back. Everything was hard about unbound, but one of the challenges was it took me 18 and a half hours, which the good news is it should be easy to knock a couple hours off of the crazy time. But is the eating every 30 minutes or, you know, whatever I eat every 30, but whatever people do, it's, it's really hard to do that. Like, yeah. you know, your arms get tired of shoving food in your face. It's like, <laughs> I never thought I would say it as an eating, con- eating contest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the guy that won the 350. you know, he had never done, he'd done some 24 hour mountain bike races, but he, he was just like, I knew like the most important thing to train was my gut to be able to just mm-hmm feel yeah. myself for that long. Like if I could that's feel myself, I knew I could do it. That's why I eat every 30 minutes now yeah. just for the, every day, just in case. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I'm on that, but it's, it's only because I'm so busy that I don't have time to actually sit down for meals. So it's not working out. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm on the, I'm on the big train with my job right now. <laughs> I know it's so hard. I can't remember one of you had said something about how you always eat your biggest meal as lunch. And then yeah. It crazy. yeah. So I do that too, but then I go equally as big at dinner. <laughs> Well, I didn't say that I don't go big at dinner. I'm just saying then I know I've at least, at least taken a good chunk of care of myself. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm plenty. I'm good with eating big dinners too. <laughs> That's so interesting though. Cause I was in um, gym culture for a very long time. And I do yeah. think you're right, Vic. Like when you start to get coaching and you understand the difference, like mm-hmm. there's this narrative that especially lives in gym culture. And it probably is why so many of us carry it over to when we start doing endurance sports of like you exercise just to earn yeah. your calories and you, you know, like get as little as you can. Mm-hmm. And then, then when you start to understand, like that was when I started doing Ironman, like fueling your body and how important that is. It's so true. And it doesn't translate because you're right in gym culture. It's, it's all about people trying to stay and maintain leanness and in endurance sports, at least for me, it didn't start this way. When I first started, I really, especially with running, I, I saw it as a way to stay fit and to stay lean. And eventually, especially after I got a coach, it became about what's possible with performance. And it, it shifted the narrative and the perspective so that the end goal was what could I accomplish? Not the end goal was what could I look like? And mm-hmm. for me, that completely changed the way I thought about the process. And in the end, I'm a much healthier person because I flipped the narrative. And, and the reality is I didn't do it on my own. I did it because I had coaches who helped me understand my own physiology, my own potential and what it would take to tap into that. A huge part of that is figuring out how to nourish performance and, and you have to nourish performance. You have to fuel. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that I've noticed, like I was just looking at you know, all our memory pictures come back and I'm like, God, we're like really put on some weight in the last few years, but I feel like I'm like taking care of my body and fueling it yeah. better than I did back in those days when I was kind of like abusing it. And just, I don't know, it, it's become less about how I look and more about what mm-hmm. my body can do in the long haul. You know, I'm hitting yeah. that 
definitely in that perimenopause phase where your body just starts to really change anyway. So, you know, it's so interesting. Somebody asked me the other day, how I would just, why I went to business school and how I would describe my experience at business school. And I was thinking about it and this person was an athlete. And so I explained to them that, you know, when I first started participating in running events and marathons and bike racing and all of those things, I put in the time, right? Like I worked hard and I, I did everything I needed to do to accomplish my goals. And I finished the marathons and the half marathons and the bike races and the, whatever the physical challenges were, I got them done and I suffered through it. And then I got a coach and what that did was give me a framework and Mm -hmm. a toolkit of how I could actually accomplish those things more effectively, more efficiently, how I could accomplish more and how I could accomplish it for a longer period of time. And most importantly, how I could tell the difference between good suffering, good pain and pain that means you're going in the wrong direction. And so professionally, that's what business school did for me. And when it comes to my fitness and performance, that's what coaching did for me. And those are things that's, that's a framework that I've carried with me for life. And I've maintained a coach for a really long time, but it all started with that very first coach. And if I never got another coach that would have stayed with me forever. Right now, that's a really excellent way to put it because that's like when I personally made that commitment to myself of like, you know, I'm worth having a coach because it's, I mean, there's an expense to it. And so you really have to kind of figure that out, but it was such a it was such a shift in the dynamic and the way I looked at everything with it. Yeah. It's crazy. It's so true. And, you know, one of the things that I've always struggled with, and I think women do in general, or, you know, people in general, but especially women struggle with imposter syndrome and Mm -hmm. thinking like, well, that's not for me. And I didn't grow up in a athletically uh, focused family. I didn't have friends in sport. I didn't grow up in a community or environment that, that valued, appreciated, or even understood this type of community that we live in now. And most things in life I accomplished or I chased after once I saw someone else do it, or I realized it was possible for me. For me, what a coach has done is helped me to understand what's possible for me. I knew what the Leadville 100 was. I never in a million years thought I could do it ever. Unbound 200, no way could I ever do that. I'm not an athlete. I'm not an endurance athlete. I can't, I couldn't run a marathon. You know, whatever these things are, I didn't believe that I could do until I got a coach and they're like, of course you can do that. Here's what it's going to take. We're going to get you there. You absolutely can do it. And you've seen that in the progression of the different challenges I've taken on over time and realized that I can do it. And it's not this superhuman thing. You don't have to be a D1 natural athlete or (laughs) come from you know, talented gene pool or whatever it is. Like, you know, my, I don't know, like my, my parents were, were not physically active athletic. I mean, my dad played golf, but is that, I don't know. Sorry, dad, if you're, if you're listening. <laughs> is that? <laughs> I mean, it depends on if you have the card or not, maybe. Actually. Yeah. When I played, I did walk a lot, you know, so like all over the place, but, but anyway, I just, that's what I loved for me about a coach is it was like, I mean, it was like paying a best friend to tell you what's possible for you and then helping you achieve it. Yep. Absolutely. And, and I think the other thing that a coach brings you so much of is understanding that more is not necessarily better. Like yeah. you actually need to rest and that's where your body gets better. <laughs> and yep. as women, we naturally are like, especially when we see a big challenge, we're like, oh my gosh, I've just got to like train, 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 yeah. train, train. 
and re rest and recovery is God, so You guys important. are like talking to me right now. It's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. To a, a new coach. And that's the thing is, that's the thing, right? It's like, it's not, even though we know the lesson, yeah. don't always listen to the lesson. It's not. Like, it's always this battle of, am I strong for powering through or am I strong for backing off? Mm -hmm. And we all want to be strong. We all want to be, I mean, for like, you know, we're probably all like type A, whether, whatever type you are, it doesn't even matter. Like we all want to make the most of our lives. And it's hard to know is, is maximizing always doing more. And it's really hard to know that balance. And I do think as you become more attuned to your body, you, and, and as you listen to, you know, podcasts like yours or the new feisty performance podcast, where you're learning what it should look like and what it should feel like to be in tuned with your body. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, it is also helpful. I feel like all this, I don't know why I'm, I'm being such a huge advocate advocate for coaching, but it's an advocate <laughs> about being around a community of people who can help you understand how to tune into those moments when you need to back off. And I need to take, I, my body requires a lot of rest. That's just you know, I think one of the reasons why I transitioned to cycling, I talked about, I would get injured all the time running. Mm -hmm. My body doesn't perform while running every day. And I didn't, you know, I kept running every day and then getting injured and then rehabbing it, cycling, going back to running every day, getting injured and not realizing that actually by pulling back and balancing, I'm healthier. Yeah. Well, you can't compare yourself to other athletes because their journeys are different than yours. I mean, yeah you know, as, as unique as fueling is, so is the, I mean, there's obviously like some threads of commonality that weave through all of it, but the, but the bigger thing is just that the, that it's all such an individual. Well, and that's why, that's why I in particular really love gravel because I feel like it definitely encourages that self, the challenge against yourself. It's not that you have to be racing against somebody else. I mean, it's fun to do that, but it's also not where the glory of gravel glory of gravel. Wow. No. And, and actually it forces you not to do it. Like I look yeah. back at my experience at unbound and one of the times when I was in my darkest moment was I bonked because I tried, I tried to follow a group that was too fast for me. You know, like I saw these guys and I was like, Psh, I'm going to show them and hop in with them and I'm going to take a pull. And like, and then I, I blew myself up and it took me like a good couple hours to recover from that. So I, yeah. And I, I think that that's, that to me was proof that, you know, this is about riding your own, your own event. You know, I think it's a good life lesson and there are moments where it's good to tuck in and, and ride the wave, but you've got to, you've got to stay within yourself. It, you know, it comes with experience, learning what that means and what's staying yeah. within yourself, you know, what that actually feels like. Well, you started this off by talking about your ride that you just did last weekend. And I was like, Oh, we don't, we haven't heard the story. Cause we I was like, we, we need to save this for the podcast. So I, we got to hear the story. So I grew up in, in California. So it's kind of where my, my heart and soul and my roots are. And I talked to a couple friends who did this organized thing called the coast ride. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. people heard of it. They go from San Francisco to Santa Barbara in a big group over three days, which is a lot because it's, uh, I think it's about when I did it, it was 392 miles the route that I took. And so that's a lot. And I thought, well, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And just with my work schedule, it was, I couldn't do it that weekend. So I went, I guess, two weeks later, I flew out on a Wednesday afternoon, 
went straight to a bike shop, had them build my bike because I didn't want to carry tools with me, stayed the night in the city. And then I did the ride by myself over four days. It was magical. Like just riding every day for an average of a hundred miles along the coast. I think I'd mentioned, I I love to ride alone. I listen to books and podcasts, Mm -hmm. or I just take time to like, you know, solve the world's problems and plan out the rest of my life. Of course, I'll forget by the time I get wherever I get. But in the moment, I'm like, oh my God, this is like, I'm so brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was just incredible. And then I got to Santa Barbara on Sunday night, dropped my bike off at REI and then got on a a. 5am flight back, said to be in the office at nine on Monday. So it was great. Oh my gosh. That makes me tired for you. (laughs) You know, the worst part of it, I hadn't been on a bike for more than a few hours since the fall. I am so chafed. (laughs) The last day, but like the hardest part was just sitting on the saddle. Like, but your legs actually start to feel good by the last day. Like they start to realize like at little hotels, did you just plan out where you were going to stay and then just the only hotel I booked was in Big Sur because okay. there's not a lot of options there. Um, and everything else, I just decided where I, you know, figured out where I wanted to stop and then found a, a hotel on Hotel Tonight and rolled in. And everybody was like, do you want me to put your bike in the garage? And I'm like, no, my underwear is in there. <laughs> Amazing. But what's Plus- interesting about it is, you know, I carried all my stuff. Yeah. And Christy, you thought I was slow going uphill before. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, right. like, I'm like, I don't know okay. how I didn't tip over. I was you like, going <laughs> four miles an hour. So anyway. Oh man, I'm never going to live that down. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, I am coming to camp again this year. So. Oh, so I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Wow. Not yeah. Gonna, well, it's it- at the end of March. Yeah. End of March. So, so um, a few weeks, a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Vic was like, when we were setting up this podcast recording, she's like, I, I'm just waiting to see if I've gotten to Leadville or I'm not. I was like, uh, you're going to get into both of those. Like, you know, you're going to, get into, especially Leadville. Like there's no chance a woman is not going to get into Leadville. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I was like, it's be a it's big surprise. But what is female participation? Like, is it I imagine it's growing. Yeah, it's gr- I mean, it's, it goes, Leadville is tricky. I think, well, we've put a lot of emphasis and this is, this was kind of one of my directions to the team was just like, let's look, let's not just look at like, let's look at the Leadville series mm-hmm. as women's participation, because the 100 mile in particular can be just such a big chunk to take on. Like, let's look at silver rush and let's look at the stage races and let's like, Mm-hmm. Let's look at ways to look at women's participation across the board, which we've done that at Unbound because, you know, the, the truth is, is like tackling the 200 mile, why I do believe and then super passionate about seeing women at that start line. I've also had to, well, it came from a friend of mine, Cassie Crotz, that was like, are you going to look down on me if I don't ride the 200 this year? I just don't have time. And I'm like, God, no, yeah. like, no, ride the distance that fits in your life. And when she said that to me, I was like, Oh, I don't want that to be yep. the message that if you don't do the 200, you're not doing what and you're doing. And it doesn't, doesn't feel count. like that. I, I will say, I, so I did the, I did unbound 100 first mm-hmm. to start and I trained so hard and I was so proud to finish that 100 Sure, and energy and the vibe of the event is so inclusive. I didn't, 
feel, well, let me take that back. Nobody made me feel less than for yeah. doing any distance that was less than 200. Right. However, I did notice myself saying, I'm, I'm only, I'm only time. doing the 100. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I knew I wanted to register for the 200, but, but that became, that was my own internal narrative. That yeah. was never the energy of the event. It is right. so inclusive. It's, and it's one of the, that's one of the dialogues that drives me the most crazy. Yeah. And my brother commented this to me a couple of years ago when we added the 350, because he and his wife have, have done the 100 several times. And he's like, thanks for adding the 350. And I was like, Oh, okay. Why? And he goes, because now the people that are doing the 200 have to say, I'm only doing the 200. And I'm like, no, like, I don't even feel that way about the 25. Like it, like bloom where you're fucking, sorry, bloom where you're planted. <laughs> now we're an explicit podcast. Well, but, you but, know what else too? I love like for people who are looking to get into it, mm-hmm. the camp is incredible. Yeah. Well, I agree, but I, I attribute finishing, which, okay, I'm going to digress for just one minute after the race. And so I haven't looked at it since, but when I was on the long drive home to Colorado, I was looking up results and my recollection, and I could be wrong, but was that there was something like a 42% DNF rate Mm -hmm. and it was 39% of men didn't finish Mm -hmm. and like 24% of women didn't finish. Yeah. That's not, that's typical. It's amazing, isn't it? And what's interesting, I told a couple people and, you know, you have people saying, well, women are so much tougher and we tolerate pain and, and there, there is that, but my point of view, after talking to a lot of the people that were out there is I think that, and you see this with women professionally, right? Like we don't apply for a job that we aspire to. We apply for a job that we know we can do. Yes. I think it's the same. The women that go are prepared. They're ready. Yep. They've, they've done what they've gone to the camp. They've, they've put in the miles, they've figured out their nutrition. The men show up and they're like, yeah, I'm just trying out this, like these new tires today. I've never ridden this bike before, but like, whatever, I got this. Yeah. Like that happens at camp all the time. Like (laughs) you watch you, you, now that you know that secret, you watch, there'll be people that show up and they're like, I'm doing the 200. I'm like the hell you are, you know, I mean, you're going to try to do a bike. Yeah. They're like renting a bike from the shop. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like that, that happened this year I at camp. And, you know, I looked at Leland and I was like, what are you, Yeah, you got to figure some of this out. Cause some of these people are not riding these miles yeah. this weekend. Yeah. And, well, that was part of even like yeah. the, like having, I know when you all save those 200 spots, it's because women, even though they filled up, like, it's like, we just want to think about Processes. it like more than 12 seconds of yeah. when it's going to fill up. Yeah. And you want, and, you know, and, am and I going to be able to do it? It's the whole going to the bathroom thing, right? They like women tend to go to the bathroom together. Like it's literally, oh, I thought you were going to say with bib shorts, it's so complicated. Just another example of us enduring. No. Velocia took care of that. Yeah. Like Velocia. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's women are looking for a lot of times who they can bring with them to, yeah. to do this. Um, and there's no, I mean, it's, it's all good. It's all fine. But that's going back to your comment about the participation numbers is like, w- literally we've taken to looking at it, at it across all of the distances to look at what women's participation is. And I think it was down a little bit this year, like maybe 29 or 30% from registered riders. We'll see who ends up showing up to the start line. Cause that will shift. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we've been experiencing like the 25 and 50 tend to be 50 or more percent women showing wow. up. So I love um, that. Yeah. I mean, it's great. And I don't know where Leadville's at. I haven't looked at their numbers, but 
you know, that's interesting. Cause I've been saying all through the pandemic, I was like, I bet endurance sports are going to take a bigger hit. Like women's numbers okay. are going to go down from the pandemic because yep. we're seeing like women. And there was just, I don't know if you saw it, that, um, run sign up, just put out a report mm. and women's numbers are like at the lowest yeah. last year that they've I've been, been in like five it. years. I'll send yeah, it to I, you. Really I, I said that when we had our, you know, after unbound in 2021, they were looking at all the women's merch that was left. And I was like, women just weren't ready. They weren't, they, they've just been, much shit to do during the pandemic. they've been homeschooling their kids. Yeah. And like, you know, they like, we, we are the primary caregiver. Like yeah. just, I'm, I know I'm making big generalizations, but no, but women have, I, I mean, everything I've heard like supported by, by numbers is that women have borne the brunt yeah. of this pandemic. Yep. And, you know, when you're talking to, I'm in a, in a fortunate situation where, you know, with the pandemic, my kids are grown. Like, of course they were both in college. They both were seniors in college when it, when the pandemic hit and they moved back home, which was painful Good. for all four of us. I love having all my kids around and would you please get the heck out of my house? Like, you know, like but I just, I think it's very, very true. And I think we, it's going to take a little bit to see those numbers start coming back up. But I, I yeah. mean, I think we've made the space and the headway for it, that it, that it does, it, it bounces back. It's just going to take a tiny I bit. I hope so. And, you know, people ask all the time, like where, where is sport coming back in, in triathlon? And, you know, we don't see participation numbers yet because events haven't really started ramping up in, in triathlon as in, as in, um, cycling, it'll be, you know, March, April, May, when they really start to ramp up. Um, but we do see events coming back and that's exciting to me. Um, we're actually trending above in multi-sport where we were in 2019, which was on trend to be our biggest growth year in, you know, the last decade, as far as the number of events coming back. So the hope is that also participation with that's growing and hopefully that there's, you know, good representation from from women. And, and we do see women participation numbers. You pointed out the 25 and the 50 miler at unbound at the shorter distances, we do see significant female participation close to 50%. Yep. Um, so, and, and that's great too. Like, I think that one of the challenges in triathlon and I love Ironman, I've done an Ironman recently. I did my first full, I've done 70.3s for years, tremendous respect and gratitude for what they do for the sport and for people within the sport. But when you think about triathlon that gets publicity, it's Ironman, it's the world championships, it's the best of the best of the best, the, the, you know, the pinnacle of the sport competing on national television. And so I think a lot of people think that that's, that's what it means to do triathlon, or they mm -hmm. think about unbound gravel and they think 200 miles or 340, 360, 370. What is it? The, uh, the XL it's 350 ish. Oh, only 350. So, you know, but that's what it means to do gravel. And the reality is gravel, gravel can be 10 miles. Gravel can be yep. 20 miles. Like it doesn't have to be this epic all day, pack your supplies adventure. And there's a distance for everyone. And, and that's what I love about it. And I think it's these big epic distances that that bring people in aspirationally, but it's the shorter attainable distances that keep them in and, and grow the funnel yeah. as the sport grows. Yeah, yes. I make it fun. Well, so that's a perfect transition to one of the things I wanted to do to tell us a little bit more about is da 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 gravel triathlon is here, which have you seen all the memes about the gravel swim? No. <laughs> people are like, how's that gravel swim going to work? <laughs> Very exfoliating. But 
I've been asking you about this for like two years. <laughs> so uh, you know how passionate I am about gravel. I absolutely love it. It's something that I've always seen as, is a potential opportunity in the sport, but I think there's, look, there's been a lot of big champions over the years. Um, Dan Empfield from slow twitch. I mean, he's been touting the gravel triathlon, um, for, for like, like three or four years. Yeah. He, I, I mean, honestly, he was the first person I ever heard talking about it. Now I'm sure that there were gravel tries before, but he really put the bug in our ear about this is, this is the future. And then when I started participating in gravel and just saw and felt the energy, not only of how it made me feel, how safe it made me feel training. Like I feel a lot more comfortable out on a dirt road than I do in my TT bars and, you know, like riding on the side of a highway that there was a real opportunity there. And so we actually created, I'm so excited and proud of this. We created the gravel national championship. It's the first ever in any country that I know of to have gravel nationals. Now we know UCI just created a gravel world. So maybe world triathlon will create a gravel world. And this will actually take you forward on the world stage at some point, but it's going to be in the, the big sugar neck of the woods in the Bentonville Fayetteville area. And unfortunately it's the same weekend as Unbound. Otherwise I would be doing it. So I know, I know. I mean, I think they're on different days. So like if I, you know, it didn't take me 20 hours to do a race, like maybe I could do both, but so, yeah, so we created gravel nationals and then there was this narrative of, you know, if we really want this sport to receive the attention that it deserves, we have to amplify it. So some people are starting races for the first time. Um, Some already have races that have just been, you know, like under under-recognized. And so we brought together a series and put some like, you know, some fun little like tchotchkes around there to make people feel like they're a part of something bigger. And we've gotten incredible coverage. I mean, we're getting calls from national federations all across the world saying, tell me more about this. This is amazing. Velo News picked up the triathlete story, triathletes covering it. I really think that this is a huge opportunity to not only engage a new audience, audience, but to just add some fun and adventure to the lives of people who've been doing triathlon, they love it. Maybe they already do Xterra or maybe Xterra feels a little, you know, like I don't have a mountain bike or it's too mm-hmm. intimidating. Um, even though Xterra is not, it's amazing. And I could talk about that forever too. I love them. Anyway, we're, we're so excited about it. So we have a series. I can actually send you the races you can put in the show notes if people want to register. The goal, the vision is to have a gravel state championship in every state. That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, I know like when I was still in Atlanta, so many of my friends from triathlon were riding gravel bikes and they were doing it like just for something different and fun. You know, they weren't, they might do like a local race. They weren't ever going to go to like some of the big gravel races because they still love triathlon, but I can totally see them hopping yeah. in. So yeah. triathlon scene. And we have a lot of like formal, tra- formal, former triathletes that hop over to gravel. So it can be like, oh, I can dip my toe back into some of that triathlon I liked without Okay. Let's be honest. Some of the type A that comes with triathlon sometimes. <laughs> like I'm one of them, but here's what I love about gravel bikes too. Like for, I think a lot of people get into the sport of triathlon and they buy a triathlon bike as their first and only bike. Mm-hmm. And you know, look, I, I have a triathlon bike. It's, it's an unnatural position to be in for a long period of time, at least for me. And they're hard to maneuver. They're hard to climb in. Maybe that's why I'm not a good climber is I started climbing on a triathlon bike. <laughs> scorned me for life. But, but what I love about gravel bikes is one, you can put road wheels on it or road tires on them, right? You can ride ride smaller slicks on them. And also you just feel more stable. They're light. 
they have aero gravel bikes. So like, if you're going to have a second bike, I love gravel all the way. I mean, even in the winter, I don't, I'm a huge wimp riding in the cold, but when I do ride in the winter or even in the, in, during the season, after it's rained, you think about all the debris on the side of the road, even riding down the, the um, coastline in California, there's glass, there's debris, there's dirt, there's gravel, um, all in the road. And you just feel so much more stable. You don't have to go ride it on dirt. Like you can just ride it on the road and feel more stable. So I'm a, I'm a big advocate of the, of the gravel bike. Yeah, I agree. Are, are the rules for the races going to be the same as uh, triathlon rules, like the drafting and the, we have, okay, shoot. I should have read up on these before there. Um, I can give you those for the show notes too, but we do have gravel rules, things like, you know, you can't ride a fixie, uh, you can draft no arrow bars. So yeah, there's a few unique rules to gravel. I know that are comfort bars. What do they yeah. call gravel? Yeah. Well, I know like some people, a lot of people in the gravel world are very like USA cycling, stay out of this. And somebody was asking me, you know, what do you think of triathlon? And I was like, having done races, like I was on the regional council for USA triathlon and, you know, like there just are so many, not that there aren't liabilities with, with, um, cycling, but when you add a swim in, there's so many more liabilities yeah. that you're putting on a race and having a governing body that like is helping cover that and make sure that everything is safe. Yeah. I think is really important when you're putting people in the water. I think so too. I mean, look, is it, you know, as a national governing body every day, what we think about is, is probably two things. One, how do we grow the sport? Like mm-hmm. every day, how do we make, how do we make it more accessible, more attainable and add more longevity to, to people participating in the sport and make it more diverse? Um, the second thing is how do we make sure it's safe? And, and that's most of what we do on a daily basis with our race directors is, making sure that we have clear criteria, clear rules, clear officiating. On top of that, when we do have safe races, I mean, we don't own these events. They're individual proprietors. I mean, you know this, Christy, it's like people yeah. like, this is their heart and soul. Like you, you create these babies in your backyard and you grow them into these like wonderful experiences and, and they're all yours, but you benefit from having amplification. And I think what we can do not only is help ensure safe races, but we can help tell the story. Like we talked about this gravel series was in triathlete. It was in Bellow news. It's, it's being picked up in so many places. And that's a role that we really play is making sure that the community is vibrant and thriving. And that we're telling the story of all the creative, awesome things that you entrepreneurs, entre- entrepreneurs are doing every day to make amazing events so that people like me can go have fun. Yeah. I love it. I'm trying to get one on my calendar this year. I mean, I've got to figure out getting back in that pool thing. Cause it's been a few years with COVID, but no. the swim there, there are gravel duathlons, which I think is fun. Oh like, no, I'm a good swimmer. I don't want to do that. I don't like, if I could take anything out, it would be the running. <laughs> Got it. Hey, <laughs> the gravel aqua bike. I would crush that. <laughs> you might have a gravel aqua bike. That's a good question. We'll have to look and yeah. see. I, I mean, think those are easy to add in any triathlon, right? It's just so easy to add the like aqua bike or duathlon for race tractors yeah. because, and then you, if people have running in, in it, that's a whole another topic, but yeah, well, um, I've loved this conversation. If people want to, people want to find out more about you or follow you, do you have public socials or tell us how, how they can find you? 
if they want to look at pictures of my dog. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's my personal social media account too. I never, I never put it out there. And then Christy posted something on my birthday and I was like, all these people started following me. They're going to be so disappointed. It's just I my know. dog. I think my, my Instagram is just my name and it's, it's literally pictures of me um, riding gravel or my dog and my two COVID cats, which are cats that I acquired during COVID. So. <laughs> I'm not a cat person. I always have to caveat that, but, but now you have two cats. <laughs> but now I have two. Well, you know, what happened is I had, I had an older dog. So I got a replacement puppy, you know, cause she was 15, the older one, she passed away. The puppy was lonely. So I got the, the puppy, a cat. And then I started going back to work and taking the dog to daycare. And then the cat was lonely. So I got the cat, a cat. Oh God. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And then I'm going to take them all to live with Christy when I go out there. <laughs> now that your kids are gone. I'll take your dog, not your cats. Cause I am not a cat person either. I know. Neither am I. I will say I'll, I'll make a plug. You, as you know, Boko gear is like, I just, I have my, uh, my trucker hats. Um, actually my Lightville uh, and unbound trucker hats, which I love. Um, the woman who owns and founded Boko, her family invented this breed of cat called the Bengal. And they're like, they're exotic and they're like little dogs. So hmm. yeah. that's what I say when I say I'm not a cat person. Cause I'm like, wow, well, I like uh, Allie Tetrick and I go round and round about cats and dogs. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we not end on talking about cats? Can we like talk about one? Yeah. Not a cat? Let's talk about following, <laughs> following Vic on social and just look at the pictures of her dog. Only like those pictures. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, um, you know, all the USA triathlon channels, you can see what we're doing in sport follow our athletes who are amazing. We just announced our, our national team athletes, both on the Olympic and Paris side. So That's nice. awesome. yeah. yeah, maybe we'll, um, I'm looking at maybe the race in Idaho, Vic, maybe you should come up and, um, we can do it. So Keith Hughes, the operator of that event is amazing. And I can introduce you to him. I mean, these are all, I can't say enough about the entrepreneurs behind these events because they're, they're just, they're, they're people who love off-road they're all cyclist enthusiasts themselves and they're all amazing event producers. So yeah, that one's in the Boise area and I would, I'll yeah. definitely connect you. If you come want to do it. Well, no, you come up and do it with me. Okay. Let's look at the date. If, if Unbound doesn't kill me. I don't think they've announced the date yet. They just said the summer. Okay. They didn't have it settled yet. Well, Christy, then let's you run. Oh no, I don't. Not right now. Remember my foot. Aqua bike. <laughs> I will definitely see you ladies at the camp. Nice. As well as Unbound, and then I'm doing Leadville. He'll be there. All right. We'll Sweet. look forward to our step aerobic session at Unbound. <laughs> I'll be back to, yeah, my my Reebok step. I'll have to I'll have to warm it up. Like learn, 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 learn. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Vic. I've loved this conversation. It <laughs> was so fun. Thank you. When you're out on your adventures, it's important to take care of your skin, both the parts exposed to the sun, and the parts that are not. That's why we're excited that Zelios is joining the gravel community as a sponsor. Zelios uses quality ingredients that athletes love. Every gravel adventurer needs to protect her skin from the sun and Sun Barrier, a clear drying zinc sunscreen is a great way to do it. And of course, we all wanna focus on miles, not our chamois. With Betwixt, Zelios all natural chamois cream, you can do just that. This vegan product uses organic aloe vera as well as almond and coconut oils and doesn't use any of the bad stuff. No fragrances, petroleum, or paraben. Head over to teamzelios.com and get 20% off your order with the code Girls Gone Gravel. 
That's teamzelios.com for 20% off with the code GIRLSGONEGRAVEL. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.